if you want to get somewhere good, it really is a lot easier if you figure out what that might look like before you start heading down the path. So setting a divorce vision is really about just imagining if I could have the best divorce possible, which that alone is a concept most people aren't used to thinking about, right? But if I could have the best divorce possible for me, what would it look like? And this is one of the reasons that it's so important to me to share my story, not because everybody wants their divorce to look like mine, but because it's just an example of a divorce that looks different. That is Suzanne Vickberg, this episode of Time to Sing Your Song. In your gut, you know the marriage is over, but the two options before you really suck. Stay miserable in a broken marriage or leave and tear every fiber of the family apart. What if there was a third option where you could create a better divorce experience? Something that got at the unique problems in your marriage. Kind of sounds like a fairy tale, but that's exactly what Suzanne Vickberg did when her marriage came to an end. Rather than following the traditional train wreck script, Suzanne and her ex were able to really put their kids first and come up with a creative solution that has worked for more than a decade. Suzanne is now singing her song and is sharing her story and in her own words, a guidebook for changing your mindset about how divorce has to be, envisioning something better, designing a creative solution to the unique problems of your marriage. Even if you're not in a sucky marriage or going through a divorce, there's lots to learn in what Suzanne is sharing from finding inspiration in unfamiliar places to using design thinking to solve one of the most contentious and stressful personal crises one could go through. So let's get to it. My conversation with Suzanne Vickberg. Suzanne Vickberg, welcome to Time to Sing Your Song. It is great to have you on. Thanks. Happy to be here. So when I started to think about this, what became clear, Suzanne, is you are absolutely singing your song post-divorce, and I say with a twist. Um, and I'd love for you just to take us back to the time when you were stuck in your marriage, when you're not happy and you were struggling with ending it. Um, what was going through your mind at that point in time? Yeah, I think that I had an experience probably that a lot of people have, um, both people who get divorced and people who decide not to get divorced. Uh, but I just, I felt really stuck. I felt like I was in a marriage that didn't make me happy. I felt claustrophobic and lonely and like I just didn't have the match that I wanted and I didn't have the connection with my husband that I wanted. Um, but I didn't really see an alternative that felt acceptable to me. You know, it felt like I can either stay in this marriage and continue to be unhappy for the rest of my life, or I would have to really destroy my family in order to leave, you know, to get divorced. And my kids were three and five by the time I made the decision to leave, but it, it just didn't, I didn't see any good options. And so it just really made me feel stuck. Was there a moment in your, your marriage where you're like, this just isn't going to work? <laughs> well, there were probably lots of moments like that. Um, but I, I think it's something maybe that just 
built over time, you know, and there I think was sort of a critical moment where I had reached a point where I made the decision and talked to my husband about um, ending our marriage. And, you know, at that point we decided to try harder again. And so we did, you know, went to a few counseling sessions and probably for about a year after that, I would say we were, we were trying to make it work with renewed effort. But over time, I saw it just sort of like eventually settle back into the place it had been before that period. And so um, I just recognized that it, it for me, wasn't wasn't what the relationship I wanted to to be the love relationship of my life. So I decided that I did, in fact, want to change it. And, and what does it feel? I haven't gone divorced. So I haven't been in that position. So I, I can't, um, I can empathize, but I've not had your experience. So what does it feel like to have no choices? Oh, it feels horrible. Um, I really, it, it, it fe- felt to me, um, like I'm sure you've maybe played or heard of the game, Would You Rather, mm. um, you know, where you're presented with sort of like two alternatives that neither one of them sounds at all appealing, but the game is that you have to choose anyway. Like that's how it felt. I felt like I just, I have two horrible options here. Um, I don't want either one of them. And therefore, you know, I think often people just sort of stay in that limbo place for a really long time because they can't see any alternative that feels like the right one to them. Um, it's a horrible feeling. I'm really glad to not be there anymore. So talk about what arrangement you ultimately came up with. So ultimately, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of give the ultimate arrangement and then uh, go backwards a little bit. But um, we now, um, 13 years after our marriage ended, um, we still live in the same house. We have added on, so we have a little bit more space, um, and I and I have some private space. Um, but we live here together. Our kids are now teenagers. They are about to turn 16 and 18. Um, my ex-husband's wife also lives with us, as do three dogs and a bearded dragon. Um, and we are a family, you know. We, we're, my, my ex and I are not... Uh, romantic partners anymore, but we're co-parents as his wife is also the third co-parent. And, um, you know, that's where we've arrived at this point. But in the beginning, um, what we did was I moved into the guest room and we called our marriage over. That was, (laughs) that was sort of the start of it. And gradually (laughs) over time, we have, uh, worked out, uh, this solution, um, that, that I see as far more positive than the typical divorce. So, so go back, I guess it's a bit over a decade. What did, what did your friends and family say about that? Cause that's certainly not mainstream, at least back then. And certainly maybe not even now. What, what did they say? They said, that's crazy. And you can't do that. You know, mm. what I, what I basically announced was we're going to get divorced, but no one's going to move out and we're just going to keep living in the house together. Um, and you know, in the very beginning, that's, that's all I saw. I did, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what the ultimate solution was going to look like, but 
I just said, you know, I don't see any reason why anybody has to move out. We have this house. Mm. We, we have enough bedrooms. We, you know, don't hate each other. We um, can we can stay here and raise our kids. I mean, that's what we wanted to do. I, I just thought, wait, let's just call the marriage over. Um, I will say that everyone we spoke to told us that's you can't do that. You know, everybody would tell you stories about how people turn on each other when they get divorced, or they would say, you're not going to be able to do it once one of you meets someone else. You know, we spoke to professionals who told us that our our own families, our best friends, everybody said, this is a terrible idea and it'll never work. I remember when uh, you had told me probably about 10 years ago that you're doing it. I remember thinking, wow, that's kind of inspirational, but I don't know if I'm that good of a person. Did you ever think about that in terms of like, is this something that only you and your husband could do? Or we're going to talk a lot about your book, but that this is something you could design around. Is that, was that a consideration at the time? Yeah. I mean, I would say that one of the ingredients to our success at what we're doing is definitely that me, my ex-husband and his wife are all um, pretty sane. We're mm. pretty reasonable. We um, we all see the kids as a priority. Um, most people see their kids as a priority, but we really put them at the center. Um, we're all pretty open-minded people, pretty progressive. Um, and so for sure, that is, that's, that's part of the equation. It has made it a lot easier for us. Um, and it's not, you know, certainly the way we're doing things is not for everyone, but, you know, to me, the main point is less about like, oh, you have to, you know, live for the next decade and a half together in the same house after you split up, but more that there are options. You know, it doesn't have to look the way we're doing it, but it also doesn't have to look like the traditional divorce path that most of us are pretty familiar with where people fight and you know, split custody of their children and spend every other Christmas alone and, you know, sell their house and argue right. over the money and all of that stuff. It's those aren't the two options. Um, there's a lot of middle ground in between. And so I think that who the people are that are involved and what they value and, you know, however, quote unquote, what type of person they are is is going to influence their own solution and what they come up with. But if people make a, an explicit effort to be creative, to look out for different options and, and come up with the best solution for them, um, I think it's something that anyone can do. So life now, what's the best part and what's the worst part? Ah, uh, well, I, you know, the, let's see the best part. Um, Probably the, the best and worst parts are the same, right? Mm -hmm. So thinking about, for example, COVID lockdown, right? It, it was particularly challenging for a lot of families um, who were divorced because even if you were locked down or you had a bubble, then you had kids sometimes that were moving back and forth between homes. So, you know, if, if one parent decided they were going to be very strict, but then the kid was going to the other parent's house who was less strict, then that was a big problem. We were all here together, which meant we had a lot of um, 
company. You know, we were all in the same house. No one was going back and forth. Um, it means like there's a lot going on at my house. It's it's very chaotic here, especially with the dogs <laughs> in the mix. Yeah. Um, but you know, nobody's nobody's lonely. Let's put it that way. Um, and you know, we have set up the situation to allow for for privacy and the opportunity to be alone. I mean, I personally am a pretty strong introvert. I really value my independence and my alone time. So I can get that here. Um, but I think it's just, you know, my son, for example, is going off to college in the fall. And I would really hate to not spend as much time with him as possible right now, you know, and same with my daughter, who's a couple years away, but we've had 13 years of living full time with our kids that we wouldn't have otherwise had, you know, if we had gotten a different kind of divorce. So I value that by far more than, more than anything. Yeah. I can't imagine what it would be like 13 years ago. So I'm going to put myself in your shoes to move out and only spend 50% of your time with your kids. Like you're missing all of those years. And so, you know, while the arrangement may be different and off to some people, the fact of the matter is you've done what I think a lot of people want to do, but don't execute well on. And that is put the kids first, yeah, uh, which is very commendable. Yeah. Although I will say, honestly, there have been so many benefits um, for for the grownups involved in addition to just the fact that we get to spend that much more time with our kids. Um it's really provided great flexibility for all of us because, you know, there are three parents actively parenting and actively managing the house. Um, and, you know, for example, if I need to go on a, a trip for work or if I want to go on a vacation or anything or out for the evening or away for a weekend, I don't have to make any kind of arrangements. I don't have to, you know, get babysitters or, you know, they're teenagers now. Um, I just leave, you know, I just say, well, Hey, I'm going to be gone this weekend or that week or whatever. There might be some slight, you know, scheduling around driving or who's going to take care of some meals, but it's much, much easier and more flexible than it is for a lot of parents who have a more strict custody schedule and therefore, you know, can never go out on a Tuesday or Thursday or, you know, have every other week where they're, um, not able to plan a trip because that's their week with their kids. Yeah. I would imagine also, and you alluded to this earlier, but, uh, you know, parenting styles. I mean, obviously every person is a little different. I'm different with regard to how I parent my kids and my wife is, but I think that becomes exacerbated when you go through divorce. And I would imagine being under the same roof, that is a benefit as well. Yeah. And, you know, we, again, are, are lucky that we've always been reasonably aligned um, in terms of how we wanted to parent. We don't always agree about everything, um, but it's definitely easier to just keep in touch. You know, I mean, we're, I, I can just, pop, we have two kitchens, right? So I can pop over into their kitchen or they can pop into mine to discuss something about the kids real quick. Um, and Anna, who is, um, my ex's wife, uh, my ex's name, Tim, um, she also has, is very aligned with, with the both of us. And, um, you know, from the beginning really respected my role as the mother, um, and also really actively contributed, 
um, to the care of the kids. So it's just been a an arrangement that that has worked really well for us. And I think I do think that when people have different parenting styles, especially if there are new partners involved and step parents, um, that can get that can get complicated real real quick. Oh yeah. So Suzanne, before we get into the book, because uh, that's what I really want to dive into, can you spend a few minutes just talking about, you know, who you are? I don't know, bit bit of background on yourself, your values. Um, I don't know, fun fact, whatever you want to share, just so that we could get to know the author. Sure. Um, so I am a social personality psychologist, which means that I study how people interact with other people and the environments they're in, um, how their behavior and their thoughts and their feelings are influenced by both who they are and, you know, what, what circumstances and uh, situations they find themselves in. I am a trained coach, um, will be earning my certification just in the next month or two from uh, Coaches Training Institute and the International Coaches Federation. Um, so that's a sort of a newer effort for me, which I'm really excited about. And, you know, overall, I just, I live in New Jersey. Um, as I've said, my kids are 15 and 17, so they are a big part of what I'm focused on day to day in my life. Um, I have the opportunity to work mostly from home and have done for a very long time, long before COVID. Um, so that really helps me sort of balance everything. Um, what about and, your values? I know that's something that, yeah. especially in the book you talk about, what are some of the things that are important to you? I do. Um, well, one of my important values is, is really just about kindness and generosity. And, you know, you, you mentioned being a good person earlier. I mean, that's my generic, like, be a good person kind of thing. I really do try to think about how I'm affecting other people um, in the way I go about things in life. Um, I have another value that really is about questioning things. It's, you know, often we're sort of going along with how things are done because it's sort of like what we were taught to do or what we see other people doing or there are all kinds of systems and structures set up in the world to kind of keep us on a certain path. And I, you know, feel that almost a responsibility in life, I think, to question those things. And, you know, I've done that obviously with my divorce and the way that I've decided to to live my life now. But I see a similar thing, for example, in the workplace. You know, there's this often assumption that we should all be climbing the ladder and moving into yet a higher position and a higher position all the time, even if it takes us away from the work we love doing. Um, that is one of my strong values that, that I challenge in my own career, that I don't, I don't look for the next rung on the ladder. I really try to examine what is the work that I'm doing? Is this the work I want to be doing? Are there ways I want to grow and new things I want to learn and things I want to try? Um, that might not lead to a promotion, um, and yet that I still want to do anyway. Um, and so that question, everything is a really, really strong value for me. Um, and another one is to not just talk about things, but do them. 
And I think that's the only way that I managed to get books written <laughs> because um, I don't know about you, but most people I talk to have an idea for a book or they want to write a book or they'd like to be an author. Um, but writing a book is no small feat and um, you have to really want to write a book in order to, in order to get that done. Um, and so I would say both that and, you know, the other things that I've accomplished in my life um, have been things that I, that I didn't, I didn't want to just talk about doing, but I wanted to actually do them. So I, I make that a priority. I want to comment on one of the things that you said about moving away from a job that you love in the pursuit of, you know, more pay, a better position. And I think that's nuts. And I think you should be commended because I think at the end of the day, if we do something that, you know, lights our soul on fire, that makes us happy, isn't that what life's all about? But I find so many times, and I could probably put myself in this camp in, in different scenarios or, or circumstances of my life where it's like, oh, I need to take the next step, move away from something just so that I could get that next promotion. Uh, so the fact that that's part of your value system, something that you look for, is fantastic. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's something that I have... Um, I, I have always explored it. And it's not that I've never made the decision to take the job that will make the next rung on the ladder for me, because, um, you know, especially when you're younger, uh, that's something that um, maybe plays a different part in your life. But um, I definitely always want to make sure I'm asking the question and really exploring that. So by the time this interview drops, your book will be out January 3rd. And I learned before we started that that is a significant date. So why are you releasing Divorce by Design on January 3rd? Yeah, so that's known as National Divorce Day. Uh, it is the first uh, working business day after the new year. So it's not always on the third. Sometimes it's on the second. But this year it will be on the third. Um, and you know, the, the entire month of January is a time when lots of people do make the decision to get divorced or actually apply for, um, divorce because lots of times people are sort of just trying to make it through the holidays and they don't want to, you know, sort of make that really difficult decision, have all those difficult conversations, um, during the holidays, and people often wait until afterward. But as as uh, I think most people may experience, the holidays can also be stressful. Um, and by the time people get to January, they start really examining whether they want to go a whole nother year um, in the same situation that they're currently in. So um, I just thought it would make a lot of sense for me to put this book out um, on January 3rd, when um, people are really starting to think about how they want to spend the next year of their life. So Suzanne, you mentioned that writing a book is not a simple activity. Why, why did you write this book? What compelled you to, to do all the work? Yeah. You know, I actually started writing this book almost right away, which, mm. you know, if you're keeping track of the math, was 13 years ago. Um, I wanted to write about what we were trying to do, I think partly because the responses from everybody were so strong. <laughs> it made me feel like, hmm, like we're doing something 
different that matters here because everybody's reacting to us in a way that like we're doing something crazy. And I started writing about it at the time. I just sort of had like an anonymous blog that probably nobody was reading. Um, But I wanted to just share what we were doing and my thoughts about what I was experiencing because it seemed to me that there were a whole lot of other people who were probably experiencing that play, that same place that I had experienced where I felt like there was no good alternatives. And I felt even early on like we had landed upon a, another option that was going to be far superior to the other two alternatives. And I just wanted to share it with people. And I started talking about this book um, sort of early on with my friends and family. And it was my aunt, Shannon, um, actually, who said to me at the time, you know, why don't you wait a while before you write a book about this? Why don't you wait until you've proven you can actually do it? <laughs> Which turned out to be really good advice. And I didn't really mean to wait a whole 13 years. Um, I have picked it up and put it back down at various times you know, over that period of time. Um, but finally during COVID really buckled down and decided, you know what, it's, it's really important to me to finish this book, to get it over the finish line and out into the world so I can really share it with people. And I was really glad that I had all those things I had written early on because I've been able to integrate them into the book. And they are, you know, memories of what it was like for me and my kids and, you know, my ex and his wife when, when it was all new and when we were just sort of exploring the, the beginning stages. Has your ex and his wife read the book? They have. What they was their response? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, um, they have both read it. I wanted to make sure that they were okay with everything in it. Um, And, you know, I don't think I've written anything that would upset anyone, but still, you know, there's a lot of personal stuff in there and it's not just my personal stuff. It's, it's, you know, by default, their personal stuff. And so they're both very proud of our family and of, of what we've accomplished together. And, um, they both thought the book was great and, uh, we're really happy about it. Um, so they're, they're fully supportive. That's awesome. So you mentioned earlier that there's oftentimes just two choices, stay in that unhappy marriage or destroy your family. And I think you've come up with option three or option C, whatever you want to call it. Can you talk about what that third option is? Yeah, I think, well, in our case, that third option is that deciding you don't want to be somebody's romantic partner anymore doesn't have to mean that you're not a family, especially if you share children. Um, and so for us, the third option was ending the marriage, but continuing the family. And in this case, we also have continued to live in the same space, which works really well for us. Um, you know, is not a necessary part of continuing to be a family, but You know, I like to think about the fact that there are lots of people in our families who are not our romantic partners. You know, think of your cousins, your parents, your, you know, grandparents, your whoever. Um, There are people we don't even get along with very well who we still see as part of our family. So I just think that that framing 
of continuing to be a family, even though you're no longer married, um, is a, a third option that, that just sets a different frame and a different tone for everything else that, that follows from there. I loved, and I think I pulled this from your book. And if I didn't, I apologize, but I think you said a divorce doesn't have to be a tragedy, which I love. Yeah. I, and, but it often feels like one, you know, in the way it's, it's typically done. And, you know, anyone who's listening, who has gotten divorced, uh, will will be very familiar with the fact that when you announce to someone that you're getting divorced, or even if you say, I am divorced, almost everyone responds with, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Yes, yeah, sympathy. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, pe- it's not that people are trying to be mean or rude. I mean, they're usually actually trying to express caring, but it definitely sends a message that this is something bad. This is something sad or, you know, disappointing. And of course, it often is, at least, at, you know, at some point within the process. But I also, you know, see our divorce as our greatest accomplishment. We have very explicitly designed our life and our family and our living situation to be amazing, and, you know, it didn't happen sort of by itself. We really have all worked at it, including the kids. Um, but it's not a tragedy. It's not something for us to be sad about. You know, I'm proud of it. We're all proud of it. And it's, it's a huge accomplishment for us. People are probably like, what the hell? The greatest accomplishment is your divorce and how you designed that. But that's pretty incredible that you can say that now. And it, it's a testament to what you've done, what your ex-husband and, and his wife have done. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm grateful. You know, I'm, I'm super grateful that we've, we've been able to, to work it out together. So as part of the research for this book, did you find out why traditional divorce sucks so bad? Like, I mean, beyond the obvious, um, you know, how would you respond to that? Why is it, why is it so difficult? Um, I think there are a lot of reasons. One of them is, you know, when you decide to end a marriage that, you know, if you have any kind of marriage vows, they usually promise something along the lines of like, we're going to stay in this forever. Right. Right. So you, you are breaking a promise to yourself and, or your spouse and, probably your whole family and community and God, if you believe in God. Um, so you're breaking a promise, um, which people often have some some feelings about. Um, you're, you know, perhaps very angry, maybe heartbroken, maybe terrified. There's lots of emotions, uh, you know, both in when you're in an unhappy marriage and then also when you decide to end it. Um, And when we're highly emotional, and especially when we're scared, it's not the easiest time to get really creative and and or be, you know, sort of level headed about the choices that you're making and the decisions you're making. And then add to that the fact that you're trying to work out your final solution, um, final solution, final solution for your marriage challenges. with someone that is the person you're struggling most with. So that's all real challenging. And then just the fact that there's a whole industry um, 
that is designed around, quote unquote, helping you do this. And I don't mean to suggest that none of it's helpful. I mean, if if you don't know how to go about getting divorced, there are lots of professionals who who actually really can help you. But the often the the system is set up to protect you from the very person that you are now trying to end the marriage with. Right. And all of these systems and processes and all the advice that you get about protecting yourself um, sets the other person up as the enemy by default. And once you enter into that frame of mind, it's very hard to stay civil, to continue trusting each other and, and to take risks um, which, which are involved in trying to create a different kind of divorce. So I think when you when you put all of that together and there's this like pretty clear path for how people typically do it, it's much easier in some ways, even though it's horrible, uh, to follow the path that is clearly defined for you than to go off-roading and like trying to find your own path and create a new one with someone who you're maybe not getting along with very well. Uh, it's like a recipe for like just a really, really unpleasant and unfortunate uh, result for many, many people who get divorced. I love the fact that you use the word creativity. You use it in the context of that's not the time you usually get creative, but I love the fact that the notion and almost kind of the foundation of, of your book is about using creativity and is about using design thinking, which you know, and you know it, you love it. I love it. But a lot of people that are listening potentially don't have a deep understanding of what design thinking is. So can we just first kind of give a bit of background on what design thinking is and then how you began to apply it to this problem statement? Sure. Um, so design thinking is a way of thinking about problems um, that, you know, it's originally uh, something that designers have used when they were designing products or services, but increasingly has been used um, in businesses to solve all kinds of different problems. And also um, people are starting to apply it to their personal lives and making decisions or solving problems there. Um, it really involves trying to examine the question or the problem very thoroughly. And I think that it's one of the reasons that it's so powerful to use in a divorce situation because you know, if if you think about like what's the problem, you know, the, the quick answer is that, well, the problem is we're getting divorced, but that's not actually the problem. That's the solution you've come up with for a problem, which is some kind of problem in your marriage um, that is leading you to think that divorce might be the solution. And so when you think about it that way, and if you start digging into what your problem actually is, it's probably not the same as your next door neighbor's problem in their marriage or the problem that your parents had in their marriage or, you know, anyone else that you know. Everybody's marriage has their own problems, whether they stay married or not. Um, and so digging deep into understanding what's the actual problem for you is very powerful because, for example, in my marriage, you know, it wasn't that either one of us was a horrible person or had done anything horrible. 
It wasn't that we hated each other or couldn't get along at all or couldn't agree on the basics about raising our kids. Um, It was more about the fact that we didn't have the kind of deep connection uh, that we really wanted to have and that the marriage part of the deal um, wasn't working for us. And it wasn't that we needed to get as far away from each other as possible or that we couldn't be in the same space together. Once we really defined that problem and thought about it, it opened up like a whole different set of solutions. And that's why design thinking uh, works so well for any kind of creative problem solving, because once you define the problem more carefully, what you can find is that solutions you never even considered will start appearing. Susan, let's make this real. And I think you did an awesome job using your own process and divorce as the example, but was the problem or challenge statement for you that you didn't see your marriage continuing because you didn't have this deeper connection or was it something else? And the reason why I'm raising this is it sounds like the crux of kind of divorce by design is really articulating this, this problem statement. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I, I will admit that at the time we started working this out, I didn't define my divorce problem quite this crisply, but in you, you didn't have like stickies on your, on your bedroom no, wall yeah. with the, <laughs> I didn't use the, all the typical um, design thinking kind of uh, strategies, but the way that I have defined it now, based on what I felt at the time, was that I felt disappointed, unfulfilled, and claustrophobic in my marriage because it lacked the deep connection I craved. So that was my problem. So when I thought about that, I thought, well, one solution would be to get divorced and have my kids only 50% of the time. Well, that's not helping me solve the actual problem that I have at all. Um so once I had defined that, I had to think about like, well, what will make a difference here? And, you know, that's how I ultimately end up getting to a solution that is just very, very different than the typ- typical divorce. It feels like there is a heavy dose of being non-emotional through that process, which, as you said, it's a, it's a highly charged situation. How did you manage through that? Yeah, I think that... You know, that is the part, frankly, that's a little bit more difficult for me to remember this this far later. Um, and I do think that while certainly there were lots of emotions, you know, there was for sure anger, there was sadness, disappointment, um, and, and fear, um, I maybe didn't have as strong of emotions as some people might. And, and part of that, I think, might you know, the the same issue that was one of the bigger problems in our marriage, that we weren't feeling this like real intensity in terms of the connection we had, um, might have made it a little easier then on the, on, you know, when we decided to end it to be less emotional about doing that. Um, but for sure, you know, there's going to be for most people, some heavy emotion um, around a divorce. And in fact, I um, devote quite a large section of the book to people and their emotions and how they can think about those emotions and how they can cope with them and try to to work through them a little bit. Um, 
So emotions are part of it. One thing I will say is it is one reason to try to do this process a little bit gradually because Mm. emotions do shift and cool sometimes, you know, when, when a little bit of time passes. And so, but, but what often happens is we're, we're in a hurry to get the divorce done, um, which I totally understand people want to like get to the other side of it and move on, but we make decisions when we're really at the height of our emotions and we're making decisions often that we wouldn't have made if our emotions were somewhat calmer. Um, so, you know, I, I don't have an easy solution to this other than to say it makes a lot of sense to really examine your emotions, to try to understand whether those emotions are driving your decisions, to even maybe imagine hey, if I didn't feel this particular emotion so strongly right now, how might that affect the decisions I'm making or the solutions I'm coming up with? Um, because it it is, I think, easier to be creative and to come up with a positive solution when those emotions are just like a little bit lowered. You know, they're not going to go away, but Um, maybe you don't want them to be super, super hot when you're making all these decisions. I'm taking away two things that are important. I think the first thing you said is just give it a bit of time because time does help. And then also just to examine the underlying emotions that you're feeling. And and it sounds like this is covered in your book, um, which we're not going to go through all of that in detail, but I think that's really helpful because that's what I was thinking. It's very charged and the whole notion of just give it a little more time because I know just in my personal life, when my emotions are charged, time is my best friend. And then just to be introspective about the emotions you're feeling, um, I think it's great. And I think, you know, coming back to the values that you mentioned earlier, one of the other things that I encourage people to do is really get clear about what your values are and find a way to continually remind yourself about them as you go in through the process. Because, you know, when you know who you are and who you want to be, you can really use that as a lens through which you continually Um, sort of evaluate your own behavior and your own decisions and think about, am I being the person I want to be? Am I being the person that I want my children to see me being? Um, Because it's, you know, obviously not easy to stay on the high road all of the time. And most of us are going to slip off from time to time. But um, I think it really helps to, to keep reminding yourself about that. Susanna, I love that because one of the things that I've been thinking of a lot lately is when stress enters my life, it changes obviously my reaction to everything around me, uh, where maybe I react uh, without giving it a lot of thought or you know, there may be some conflict involved. And one of the things that I started to do that has helped me out immensely, and I think this goes back to the values that you're talking about, is I just ask myself in the moment. It's almost like, you know, snapping a rubber band, but in the moment, is this who I really am as a person? Because what I've oftentimes found is that when I react because of stress, 10 or 15 minutes later, I'm like, that's so not who I am. Why the hell did I act that way? And I think that's really helpful just to think of like, you're reacting um, in the midst of a divorce and it's likely not who you are as a person. And you're going to see that with great clarity down the road, I would imagine. Yes. And the other really, really important thing to remember is your 
soon to be X, which is how I refer to them in the I book, love that. Yeah. yeah. What's the S- acronym? You use an acronym. You got to share that. S-T-B-X, soon to be X. They are doing the same. And so, you know, one of one of the things I like to talk about is the fact that, you know, when you talk to people who are divorced, many of the women, at least half of them are going to say that their ex-husband, if they're in a heterosexual marriage, is a narcissist. And many of the men, at least half of them in heterosexual marriages anyway, will say that their ex-wife is crazy. Um, and, you know, I'm a psychologist and I think it's not possible that that high of a proportion of people in the world are, you know, having some kind of serious psychological disorder. But, and some of them are, but a lot of people are dealing with, you know, someone who is reacting out of their emotions. And most of us aren't at our best, frankly. And so, you know, you can't control your soon-to-be ex and, you know, their behavior or their emotions, but it does it does pay to keep in mind that, you know, some of the way that they're acting is because they're going through this process too and because they've also probably been unhappy in the marriage for quite a long time. And the amount of, like, anger and resentment and all this other emotions that can build up over time um, – can be sort of hard to, to see through. Suzanne, can you talk about another um, topic you, you focus on in the book and that is the divorce vision. What is that? Yeah. So, um, you know, the divorce vision is this similar idea to any kind of vision board, you know, that somebody would create or um, even setting a strategic vision for an organization. If you want to get somewhere good, it really is a lot easier if you figure out what that might look like before you start heading down the path. So setting a divorce vision is really about just imagining if I could have the best divorce possible, which that alone is a concept most people aren't used to thinking about, right? But if I could have the best divorce possible for me, what would it look like? And this is one of the reasons that it's so important to me to share my story, not because everybody wants their divorce to look like mine, but because it's just an example of a divorce that looks different than what we're used to. And so once you see that example, and I have a number of books in the appendix that I mentioned that are other people's writing about their divorces who are also different. Um, you know, once you see some other examples, you can take a step back and think, what do I want mine to look like? And the closer you can get to defining that, um, the better your chances are of reaching it. And you, you know, if you set a really sort of audacious, beautiful vision for your divorce, you may not be able to exactly um, get to that, you know, gorgeous place. However, uh, you're probably going to get closer to it than if you sort of just follow along the path that, that you know, everybody else told you to go down. Um, so for us, you know, when it was like trying to figure out, like, what do we want this to look like? Um, 
it really, the focus was on continuing to nurture our family and causing the least amount of pain possible as we sort of ended the marriage part and freed both of us up to find closer connections with other people. I love that because I was, as you were talking, I was writing almost kind of what current state is for many people and then what could be a vision. And so I started just jotting down like what could be a nice vision for a divorce. And you started to, to add to it like, you know, I want to nurture my family. I want to um, have the least amount of pain possible. I had put down like maybe we could be friends. Maybe we could be great co-parents. Maybe we yeah. can do this fairly. And so then I think about like, if that's the vision, I juxtapose that to what the reality is for many people. And that reality may be like, you know, this person screwed me. I'm angry. I'm going to get everything I can out of the process. Like, it's just such a different way of looking at it. And my guess is, and you probably saw this through your research, is that most people don't think out into the future. They're just thinking about the here and now, and they're doing it based on their emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's another important point, especially for people who maybe are already divorced and maybe they already have gone down a path that led to, uh, you know, the ending of their marriage in a way that was was not, I let's say, not ideal. Right. <laughs> um, often you can still recalibrate your relationship with your ex or, you know, your co-parent like over time at a later date. And I've, I've seen people do that where the divorce itself might've been horrible, but once those emotions cool and some time passes and, you know, they sort of figure out the logistics of, you know, kids going back and forth or how they're going to deal with holidays or vacations over time, people sometimes are able to get more flexible. They are able to have a more productive or positive relationship. I mean, I know a number of people who, do you know spend holidays with their with their ex and their families together and maybe they didn't the first year or two after the divorce because everybody was you know not in a place where that felt okay for them but then years later they might be able to come back together so i think it's really never too late to set a divorce vision and and try to work toward it i mean you really have nothing to lose by doing that. And, you know, hopefully you have at least a little something to gain. So Suzanne, I'm listening to this. You got somebody out there and they're like, oh yes, I I'm totally into this. The, uh, the problem statement, I get that. Oh, this vision sounds like a much better way of doing it. How do I get my significant other on board? Or is that even necessary? Yeah, this is sort of like the, I think one of the bigger questions of, you know, this whole, um, approach and of my book, you know, it's like, okay, I was dealing with someone who wanted to be on board and, and wanted to create this with me. What if, what if you're not dealing with someone like that? Um, and, you know, while I was sort of joking earlier about how so many people see their exes as narcissists or crazy or however they define it, the reality is people do have very difficult situations often. And, you know, some people are really dealing with with trying to break up with someone who is not, you know, cooperative and they can't get along and maybe someone's really controlling or, you know, there's a million other ways that um, it can be very challenging. So um, I would say that there's a few things to keep in mind. One, the, the greatest first step is to do your very best to have empathy 
for your soon-to-be ex, which admittedly is not easy, um, especially if you're angry at them. But trying to put yourself in their shoes repeatedly to try to understand where they're coming from, um, you know, and sort of put aside your own reactions. Sometimes you might even need a friend to help you do this, to try to say like, you know, just help me understand what they could be experiencing or thinking. Um, if you can do that and and communicate that you're doing that, uh, I think it's going to help a lot. Um, another, you know, thing that you can try to do is just try to share how you see things, what you hope for. Um, and, you know, obviously, if you're reading my book or someone else's book, um, again, I've got several in the appendix, um, sharing that with with your soon-to-be ex and letting them sort of read it for themselves and experience that for themselves. Um, hiring a professional who who is qualified to help you figure this out together. Um, I, you know, there certainly are collaborative attorneys and mediators and people that are very well um, skilled at, at doing that. Um, you will want to communicate pretty clearly that if you're trying to do something a little different, that that's important to you. Um, but sometimes someone else like that can help. And then finally, sometimes you really can't. Like you just, you cannot get the other person on board. Um, they're not interested in cooperating. They don't want to think about it this way. Um, then what you can do is focus in on the things that you can control. And that has to do with your own mindset around this uh, divorce and just trying to think about it for yourself in the most creative way possible and or focusing on your own life that's going to be sort of your post-divorce life, um, which you get to create yourself. And instead of like falling into that situation by default, um, being very intentional about what kind of life you want to create for yourself in the next chapter, you can always do that. You don't need anyone else's permission. Um, so if you can't get your soon-to-be ex on board, um, really focus in on what are the things that you can control and how you yourself can think about things. There's two things that you said I just want to pick up. The first is that notion of showing deep empathy for your soon-to-be ex. See, now I'm using the lingo. Uh, but, <laughs> but showing deep empathy. And I think what could be a game changer is just going to them and saying, you know, I've given this thought a lot of thought. And I think I know how you likely felt or that you feel now. And it just mm -hmm. takes a lot of the air out of the situation when you have some empathy and you communicate it to the individual. I think that potentially would take a lot of the charge out of the entire situation. I know if I were on the receiving end, I'd be just happy to hear that. Not that it's yeah. potentially going to work beyond that, but I think that's helpful. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it validates them. And, totally. you know, often, often it's, it's our exact, you know, we have the, we have the automatic reaction to want to do the exact opposite, exactly. <laughs> to invalidate them, um, to say, you know, it's all your fault. You, you know, you've caused all of this in one way or another, and your feelings and your experiences are actually not valid, but 
to the best of your ability, if you can do the opposite and really explore it and really be honest with yourself and really try to understand where they're coming from. And as you say, let them know that you're working on that. Um, it can make a huge difference in, in how they respond to you. The second thing you talked about was the vision if, if you didn't get them on board and what to do. And, and I would imagine, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but I would imagine if you come up with your own version, maybe your soon-to-be-ex is not part of that and they're not bought into it, but it actually likely would change how you show up so that you're not creating or exacerbating the problems. Because what I find is if it is a charge situation and I'm in the middle of it, oftentimes I'm making it worse. And so if I'm actually doing the opposite and I'm focusing on me and I'm showing up the way that I, I really want to when I have a clear head, that's going to be better for everybody, even if you didn't get them on board. Yeah. I And, you know, you can ask them if if this feels right. You know, every situation is different. Maybe they don't agree with your your vision. What's right. their vision? What would they, you know, what's the best... What's the best ending for the, for this marriage that that they could envision? Um, even just asking the question, even if they won't answer or don't want to play along, um, might get them started sort of thinking about that for themselves. Suzanne, what I really loved about the book, and I'd love to uh, get your thoughts on this, is there's almost a heavy aspect of journaling that you recommend. It's kind of like at the every at the end of every chapter, it's like here's four or five questions that you could consider, which I think is fantastic. And I was like, it's almost like journaling about your divorce and how you could get through this process. Can you talk about why you incorporated that into the book and the impact that it can have? Yeah. Um, Well, there's lots of research out there that shows that writing about traumatic experiences or stressful experiences um, can really improve your responses, your coping, your mental health, your sleep, your physical health, and all kinds of other really positive outcomes. Um, And often we think about, you know, talking about these things with someone else, which is also a really great thing to do. So I'm I'm certainly not um, discouraging people from talking through things, but writing through things has sort of a different um, effect and a different process for your brain. It helps us make sense of things. And um, I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm a ruminator. Uh, I tend to like turn things over and over in my mind and it's exhausting and often not very productive. But when you write about something, it's actually a way of helping your mind organize and create a, a story for what's happening that can help you sort of like release some of that ruminating because once you've written it down, your, your mind sometimes can, can let it go. But it, it also helps you make meaning about what you're going through. Um, and to just, it starts to shift your perspective and the way you're thinking about things. It's also just like a really great way to, to get creative. Um, so, I do highly recommend, I mean, I know I'm one of those people who sometimes reads a book and they encourage you to write things down and I don't always do it. So I get that, that people don't always do that. Um, but even if you do a little bit of it, it really is going to have a positive effect for you in the long term, even if it's kind of hard to do, um, sometimes in the short term. 
Yeah, as I was going through the book and the questions, even though I'm not going through a divorce, I thought they were fantastic. And and I almost feel like this is a bit different than those other books that you referenced, just because, you know, by going deep on these questions, it can really help you get to a place where maybe you can craft and design a better divorce. So I, I, I would encourage people to to use the questions to journal on them. And um, like you said, or you asked me, Mike, are you a ruminator? I live in my mind. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I understand the value of journaling. So I appreciate that. <laughs> so the, the next question I have for you is, what did you, what did you learn about yourself going through, and you could take this one or two ways, or even both, going through the process itself, meaning the divorce that you went through, or even writing this book because you went through the process and then as you indicated, you've been writing the book for 13 years. So what have you learned about yourself? Oh gosh. Um, what have I learned about myself? Um, part of it I think is, and this has been a, you know, a journey and a process over time. Um, I have gotten very clear about what those values of mine are. Um, you know, I think that Sometimes, you know, we have a vague idea of like what's important to us or, or what we believe in, but I'm able to um, examine my own behavior and I'm a very, you know, I'm a person who really likes to think about um, all my thoughts and feelings a lot, um, but I'm able to not only like write down some values that I think are important to me, but look at my life and and what I've created and sort of infer my values from that, which is actually how I encourage people to really do that. You know, not just like look at a list of things and say, oh yeah, I, you know, I like the idea of being kind, but actually look through, you know, look at your life and try to understand like how often am I kind, you know, is that is that how I'm living? So I think that, you know, it's both um, I have very intentionally created a life that works for me, but I also then look at the life I've created and how I live day to day, um, and I reflect back what that means about who I am. So um, there are there are lots of you know ways that I that I see that, and I see myself. I'm I'm. I think someone who didn't think of myself as a creative person for most of my life, um, and I think a lot of people maybe don't think they're creative because they're not an artist, <laughs> and I now think of myself as a creative person because I have this example of a life that I created, um, not by myself, you know, with with my family. Um, and that is is definitely um, creativity for sure. It's it's interesting, Suzanne. Uh, we were talking before we started this conversation, before we hit record, about my conversation with Jeff Raz, and almost verbatim, you just said the things that I've been doing under very very different circumstances, obviously. But it wasn't until I started to get extremely intentional about who I wanted to be in the life that I wanted to live. And then was very retrospective. Um, one of the things I talked about was going off site one day, a quarter where I would look at, you know, am I on path? Are there things that I should change? You know, am I happy with the direction that I'm going? And then, you know, evaluate, adjust and move forward. And in many respects, that's kind of what you've done, you know, through this process. And, and just that notion of, you know, intentionality and being 
um, super retrospective, I think is, uh, is important. Yeah. And it's fun. You know, it's fun it's and fun. interesting to do. <laughs> it's fun. It, yes. <laughs> designing your life can be a lot. It, it's true. And actually living the life that you want to live is even more fun. Exactly. Instead of the life that somebody else, <laughs> you know, told you you were supposed to be living. Totally. Now that you've gone deep on a better way to divorce, is there anything you would have done differently? Mm. Wow. You know what? I don't think so. Um, I really don't think so. I, I mean, it's not that my life is perfect. I don't want to give that impression. And there are, there are challenges you know, associated with, with our situation. We don't, you know, we get along pretty well, but it doesn't mean that we don't sometimes drive each other crazy and all of that. Um, but I feel like I really have created a life that's right for me. Um, my children have absolutely benefited from having three parents actively engaged and present um, pretty much all of the time. Um, I, I think it's been great for Tim and, you know, he, he has ended up with a a far better partner for him. Um, I actually spoke at their wedding and, um, talked about the fact that I always wanted what was best for him and he has now found the person that's best for him. Um, so I don't think I would have, I would do anything different. I love it. I think that speech is in your book as well. Am I right? It is. It is. Yes. My speech at their wedding. What emotions or feelings come up after writing an unconventional book on divorce after going through your divorce? How do you feel now? Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I really am. I, um, it was, it was a long haul. It was a very hard book to write for me. Um, because it's, I care so much about it. I mean, it's not my first book. It won't be my last book, but um, it is in a way the book I feel I was born to write. And so the stakes feel very high. Um, it, you know, it's it's completed. And when we're recording this, it's not out yet, but it will be by the time the podcast is released. Um, I will say right now, I do feel a little nervous. Um just about what is going to happen when it launches. And I feel nervous about a couple of things. You know, one is, will anybody read it? I, you know, I have put so much into it. Um, and, you know, I want, I want people to hear our story and that's how, why I wrote it. And um, so I hope that, I hope that people will read it, but I'm a little bit nervous about that. Um, there's, you know, a lot of myself in it and a lot of personal stories. And, um, so there's a sense of exposure when you, when you put that out into the world, um, that I'm a little bit nervous about. I mean, I am, I am comfortable with what's in there. It's authentically me. Um, there's nothing that I'm embarrassed by or anything like that, but, um, it's just, like kind of putting your, your soul out into the world for, for people to read and comment on. Um, so that's a little bit scary, but it's, you know, well, at this point I'll say, I feel like it's worth it. Ask me again, (laughs) (laughs) ask me again in six months. Um, I also just feel relieved. 
You know, there, there were times at which I thought I might never finish this book and never put the story out there. And I am relieved that I have, that I've done it. Um, it, it was really important to me to finish that book and put it out there. So, um, I'm thrilled that, that I've gotten it over the finish line. Do you know what I, I personally love? Once again, I'm not going through divorce, um, and I don't plan on doing so. So hopefully I don't have to apply the principles in it. But the one thing I think is awesome about it, I'm not sure if you've given thought to this is you have given an option C to a very difficult situation. And I think others, as they're listening, could potentially think of other situations in their life where they feel like there's two choices, both really bad, as you indicated, where if you apply a bit of creativity and openness, you could come up with a better solution. And I think in many respects, that's what you've done for a an issue that so many people are impacted by. So I don't know, Suzanne, my guess is it's going to be, it's going to be a very impactful book. Which leads me to one of my my final questions. What impact do you want this book to have on people? Uh, you know, I just want them, I, I want it to give people hope um, that there, there are other options. There is, you know, there can be like a beautiful life on the other side of divorce. I mean, most of us don't get married hoping we're going to get divorced, right? right. Most of right. us <laughs> would not hope to arrive there. But if you do arrive there, um, and if you're intentional about it, you, you again won't create my life. You won't replicate it, but you can create something that's beautiful for you. Um, I also, you know, this might be a little controversial, so maybe a good thing to say toward the end, but I hope that people who are stuck in that unhappy marriage and, you know, are staying there. Um, because the, the alternative seems so terrible. Um, I hope it will, will give those folks, uh, just, you know, something to think about that, that alternative is maybe not worse, maybe doesn't have to be worse. Um, and I think sometimes some of the very worst divorces are the ones that people waited, waited the longest, you know, before they got divorced. I think for Tim and I, we, you know, we didn't rush to it, um, but we, no one had done anything really terrible. Nobody had said anything really unforgivable. Um, we didn't wait until we hated each other to finally try to figure out how to take apart our marriage. Um, so, you know, I hope that people will read this book um, even if they're not really thinking about divorce, but they're maybe feeling unsatisfied with their marriage, uh, because it shows that, you know, ending a marriage does not, as we said in the beginning, have to be a tragedy. And I think it could also, you could use some of the same concepts and ideas in here to improve your marriage, to think about, you know, we've gone down this path, we've ended in this default place, we're not happy, how do we want to maybe shake things up, do things a little bit differently um, in a way that can make the marriage better and maybe make the marriage last? I, I was going to ask you that question. I was going to be my next question. But my after taking a look at it, my read is it absolutely can. Because if you just go back to like, you know, what are the values that we have or that I have and that we have? That's helpful. What are some of the challenges that we're having in our marriage? Really articulating that. Um, what type of vision do we want to have? I mean, you could potentially move that right to before we divorce, 
you know, is there a better way that we could be married before we make that ultimate decision? So I think there's actually a lot of techniques and my guess is even a lot of the questions that you have that we talked about a few minutes ago could help as well. So I love that answer. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. And you know, the, the last sort of third of the book is these 20 um, sort of principles mm -hmm. for how to really think about who you want to be and how you want to use your creativity. And most of them are really relevant, even if you want to just figure out how to make your marriage better. So um, I look forward to hearing from people who are listening, um, if any of them try that and how it goes. So what advice do you have for somebody who is in kind of a, a gnarly situation uh, with only bad alternatives? And this is our second to last question. I'm going to let you go, but, but you know, if you're not going through a divorce, but you have limited options that are not good, you know, what piece of advice would you give to somebody like that? And it, and it does not have to be in a situation where you're in a relationship. It could be something sure. totally different. Um, one of the things that I would say is probably there are more, um, there are more options than you see right now. Um, and then I would say that one of the things you can do regardless of what the situation is, is sort of look for inspiration and alternative blueprints in other, other situations. So I talk about this in the book as it relates to divorce, but you can do it with any problem. Um, you know, whatever you're, you're up against, think about, are there other, are there other scenarios that have something in common, even though they're different? So, you know, for divorce, I write about the fact that we have lots of endings in our life that don't always have to be horrible. Like you leave home and go to college or, you know, you decide not to work with the same hairstylist anymore or, you know, you leave a job. Those are all endings. And we can take pieces of what we've learned or what we've seen in those kinds of endings and apply them to how we think about the ending of our marriage. So whatever your problem or challenge is, try to see if there's like some adjacent problem or challenge that, that shares something in common with what you're trying to face. And, you know, were there other solutions there? And then, you know, related to that, look for, for inspiration elsewhere. And sometimes that's talking to other people, um, which I do suggest you do, you know, carefully and with a huge grain of salt, because as I mentioned mm. with our divorce, people told us that this was a terrible idea and that we could never do it. So um, you have to listen to your own inner voice even more strongly, but people often do have really you know, great ideas or different ways of, of thinking about an issue. Um, and then, you know, but not just talking to people, reading broadly, for example, you know, I am constantly reading and everything I read, it might have nothing to do with whatever my challenge is, but it might still give me just like a little piece, a little hint. Um, and then the final thing I'll say is coming up, with crazy ideas and as many of them as possible, like things that are not actually even realistic or, you know, totally out there. If you force yourself to come up with a list of 30 other solutions to your problem, uh, you, most of them will be not useful. 
And there will be one in there that's going to have a kernel of something you can build yep. on that will send you in a new direction. I got it. That was the best answer ever. And the one thing that I think you did a, a, a remarkable job on is actually talking about the benefits of design thinking and the whole notion of maybe look outside your area of expertise or even just where you spend time for inspiration is a great source of finding that option C. And then the last thing you said, I, I'm a huge believer in come up with crazy ideas, pair them back because there may be a nugget in there. And that's quite frankly where I think most innovation comes from. So great answer. Thank you, Suzanne. So Final, final question, Suzanne. When yeah. I when I came up with this podcast, um, the whole notion was that there are people, and actually I believe this is everybody at some point in their life that get knocked on their ass or have a challenge or an obstacle that they need to overcome. You overcame um, something that I don't know, 50% of people that go into marriage have faced, you know, a hard marriage. And not only did you figure out a better way to end it, you figured out a way to take your learnings and package it in a book so that it can make an impact on thousands of people. So when you think about this journey that you've been on, what song comes to mind? You can either just describe it or if you want to play like a five to seven second excerpt of it, that's cool. Uh, but what song comes to mind? Um, I would love to play an excerpt, but I don't know how to do that. Uh, <laughs> that's all the, good. The song, actually, I just... I was taking a walk one day and I was just listening to, you know, some playlist and the song A Million Dreams from The Greatest Showman came on and I was, you know, I had heard it many times before, but I started listening to the lyrics really closely and I was literally shocked at how closely um, it fits with the the life that my family has created together and, you know, some of, some of, uh, what they, what the song talks about is, you know, they can say that we've lost our minds. I don't care if they call us crazy, run away to a world that we design. Um, mm -hmm. and many of the other lyrics just fit really well with what we've done, which is, you know what, we're going to dream a dream about how we can do this differently and we're just going to try it and we're going to take the risks that we need to take, um, which we took many, um, and we're going to see what happens and we're going to sort of close our ears to all the, the messages that we're getting that say that we can't do it and we're just going to proceed and see what happens. And um, we've been really lucky along the way, um, but we've also worked really hard and um, I'm just, I couldn't be more grateful uh, to Tim and Anna and my kids and everyone around us who now supports us um, because we have had a lot of support, um, you know, after the initial reactions from all of our loved ones. Um, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to put it out into the world as a book and I hope people will really get a lot out of it. And thank you, Mike, for creating this opportunity um, and way to communicate um, the message to a lot more people and not thousands, but millions. Millions. Yes, I love it. And, and I love that song. So everybody go out and listen to that song and be inspired and, and think about Suzanne and her journey. Um, the lyrics do actually connect so beautifully with your journey that you've been on, Suzanne. And Suzanne, thank you for sharing your story. Um, thank you for releasing the book. 
I think it's going to do awesome. Everybody go out and buy the damn book on January 3rd. By the time this is out, you can go (laughs) buy it. And Suzanne, thank you. Thank you very much. Sure. Thanks. Suzanne, you are awesome. Thank you for sharing your journey and providing a third option for doing divorce right. I'm not planning on divorcing my wife of 27 years anytime soon or ever. However, I did pick up a lot from our conversation and reading your book. I'm personally fired up about a much better approach to a complicated situation that is often made worse by hurt feelings, rejection, and those damn greedy attorneys. Sorry, attorneys, if you're out there, but it's true. Here are a few things that I picked up along the way. First, sometimes the reason you think you're getting a divorce is not the real reason. By spending the time at getting at the root cause, you will be in a much better position to create a solution that may just work. Second, divorce often goes sideways because there isn't much thought given to the type of divorce you want to have. And this totally makes sense because you are in the muck of an emotional and often contentious situation. But by stepping back from the fray and giving deep consideration to your divorce vision, you may be able to create a destination that gives you peace of mind and something meaningful to work for. Also, it may just take you out of that victim mindset that you find yourself in. And that is a very good thing for your mental health. Finally, This book has taken the idea of design thinking to the next level. Pay attention to what Suzanne is sharing. Many of the ideas and approaches can be used for other personal challenges. Maybe, maybe even a marriage that just needs some shaking up. I am now several interviews into this journey, and I love the diversity of what it means to sing your song. From overcoming drug addiction to fleeing corporate life, the conversations have been inspiring and instructive at least to me. Hit me up if you have a kick-ass story or if you know somebody that does on social media, Mike Kearney on LinkedIn and mkearney33 on Twitter. You can even email me at mike at timetosingyoursong.com. Until next time, start singing your song today because as the anonymous quote goes, when tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever. In its place is something that you have left behind. Let it be something good. 